Welcome to the Genre Wars book podcast, which exists to help you read wider and find great new books where you didn't expect them. We chat about the best stories from people's favourite genres with the authors who write them. I'm your host, Tim Hawken, and in this episode, we'll be talking fantasy with Jeremy Lachlan. Jeremy's not only an accomplished writer, but makes an amazing rainbow sponge cake and is one of the few people in the world who knows the difference between a maze and a labyrinth. His debut novel, Jane Doe and the Cradle of All Worlds, won the 2019 ABA Book of the Year for Older Children, and his follow-up, The Key of All Souls, has just been released to high praise. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, and thank you for mentioning the rainbow cake. I was so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was one of your best Instagram moments. So uh, if anyone if anyone uh, doesn't follow Jeremy on Instagram, um, is, is it just Jeremy Lachlan or is it Jeremy dot Lachlan? Uh, Jeremy dot Lo- yeah, at Jeremy dot Lachlan. I've done some baking during ISO. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty terrible. I'm getting better though. So yeah, we're all, we're all learning and growing. Very good. And so, um, I guess starting with probably the most important and very big question: What is the difference between a maze and a labyrinth? Oh, so yeah, I, I, um, a maze has the very simple uh, um, explanation. A maze has many different paths, whereas a labyrinth only has one. Oh, to the middle. If that makes to sense. The, yeah, or, to, or to, to the middle, again. or to or to get out. So yeah, labyrinth is usually you can see a lot of the, like labyrinths on. Um, uh, like even in church on the floor of churches and, and all that kind of stuff where mm-hmm, they've got that mm-hmm. kind of winding kind of kind of path and it's kind of a meditative uh, experience to just follow that one path to the center and out again whereas a maze will have many but I mean I technically the manor in my book is uh, is a maze but a labyrinth is such a cooler word so yeah I call it, it a labyrinth absolutely... between worlds <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I mean like I was just, or here I was thinking it was this exactly the same, except there was David Bowie in the middle in grey tights that accentuated his wonderful package. <laughs> I, I, I wish. I mean, maybe, maybe in one of the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a great movie, the Labyrinth. I, I don't know if you um, you watched that growing up, but that was one of my. You know what? Films. I, I I didn't I didn't see that until I was an adult. Um, Wow, and I actually didn't really. Oh, I, I shouldn't say this because we're talking about fantasy, and it's such an iconic thing. But I didn't really like it. Um, yeah, wow. Okay, it's because I, I didn't see it as a child. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's like, I guess the puppetry and all that sort of stuff dates a little bit. And um, but uh, so speaking of, I've guessed stories and influences and things you that did influence you growing up and um, things that resonated with you. I'd love to hear a little bit about the stories that really caught your attention and your imagination when you were growing up and and what led you to want to be a writer and how that journey came about yeah sure um so so my book jane doe and the cradle of all worlds it's about um a a girl a young carer she's 14 years old she has to journey into this infinite labyrinth between worlds to rescue her father who's disappeared inside um and i've i i was just i've always been obsessed with stories and obsessed with uh adventure um, so growing up, um, I just devoured anything I could get my hands on, uh, books, but also TV shows, cartoons, movies, um, anything. So, uh, Chronicles of Narnia was a huge favorite of mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, I, I mean, I loved Enid Blyton and all that kind of stuff when I was when I was a kid, of course. Yeah, um, but, that was uh, the magic faraway tree and those kind of things. Yeah, like and there's just so many little gnomes having cool little adventures mm. and stuff. It was great. Um, uh, but in terms of like cartoons, like the mysterious cities of gold. Um, did you ever watch that oh, one? I've that never, was, no, I'd never oh, seen that. Oh, dude, it was it was so brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Um, so I was obsessed with that when I was a kid. Um, Indiana Jones, I loved Star Wars, I loved Jurassic Park. Um, when I uh, throughout primary school, those R.L. Stein thrillers were a huge favorite yep. of mine. Yep. I loved being scared. Um, and uh, since I've written Jane Doe and gone to some schools to do talks and at festivals and things like that. Um, it's just reminded me how much kids enjoy being scared as well uh, in stories. Yeah, um, I Jane Doe. Yeah, scary. Oh, I didn't shy like away I, from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I was, re- I've, I've, I've been furiously reading the second one the last few days, and um, just to catch up for this podcast. And it's, and I was like, so I've got a seven-year-old son, and I'm like, oh, could I read this to him? I think it's still a little bit too scary, and he's got a four-year-old brother as well that I'd be reading to at the same time. Yeah, and it's so been, it's I'm been like, really. Oh, I think it, it's true middle grade. Yeah, it's been really interesting that the reactions from that because I've, I mean, I've heard from some adults who got too scared in it. Uh, but yeah. then I've also heard from uh, parents who've read it with their six-year-old and loved it. Um, and it's yeah, okay. like it's the six-year-old's favorite book. So it, it depends on what – I mean, fear is an interesting thing and it, it, it reaches people in, in different ways. Um, but, yeah, I definitely wanted to – I mean, the, writing this, this duology, uh, this, this, you know, it's one, a, one big adventure split over two books um, – Mm. I, I just wanted to fill it with all of my favorite things. Uh, so I, I came up with the idea for the story when I was kind of lost in the Cairo Museum way back in um, 2007. Um, yep. And I, I've always loved being lost, getting lost in museums and forests and caves because uh, it's, it's when those what-if questions arise. Um, mm. you know, what if there was a cave in? What if I took a wrong turn? What if this painting came alive? What if a dinosaur was chasing me through here? Um, there's always that, <laughs> a, that little element of danger in those in those uh, places. Um, mm. uh, and when I was lost in the Cairo Museum, I started to think, what if there was this infinite labyrinth between worlds? What if it had been used? What if it was known to an entire island of people and had been used for thousands of years? Um, for them to journey to these other worlds, have adventures and return with tales to tell. Um, but what if one day it stopped letting them inside and what if it was all because of a child? And so that was kind of the first seed of, of, of this idea. Um, mm. And I just knew that this was my chance to fill it with all of my favourite things. So, uh, you know, going back to all those those influences you mentioned, um, I decided I wanted to fill it with scary creatures, uh, rope bridges. I've mm. always been obsessed with rope bridges for some reason. Um, wow. So I figured I can just have a whole room of them inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, runaway trains, carnivorous forests, all of these iconic moments from adventure, fantasy stories that I've loved. Uh, this was my chance to kind of put them in a new, in a brand new adventure of my own. That's so cool. I mean, and booby traps. So I'm obviously the Indiana oh, Jones yes. things, and I, I was reminded of um, the Goonies as well. I don't know if you ever watched the Goonies, oh, but oh, I haven't um, watched the Goonies. Please, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, was like giggling to myself, just like, and and the the, the throwaway line, or like I learned that um, booby traps have nothing to do with real boobs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just thought oh, that, that was hilarious. 
Yeah, no, I, so, I love uh, a good booby trap, and it's it's always a yeah. fun distract a fun day when I'm when I'm writing a new action sequence or a new action set piece, and I have to come up with a new booby trap or some elaborate elaborate kind of death trap. It's it's always yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, and so how how do those things come about? Do you think about the influences and the things that you've seen, and then try and put a twist on them? Do you try and come up with something totally original? How does that kind of come about when you're writing those scenes? It's a great it's a great question. A lot of it comes from uh, um, it's kind of there are so many elements that go into the creation of of every single one, um, and ultimately, first and foremost, is uh, when you're creating it like an an action adventure fantasy kind of rollicking uh tale is Mm. uh how does this action set piece affect my character's journey either emotionally Mm. or physically um you've always kind of got to bring it back to character in some way um that's kind of the the baseline going through it It, it, exactly how's it going to test them what's it going to change all all these kinds of things but uh having said that there's also the with that going alongside that there is me just wanting to have a carnivorous forest or a rope bridge or a particular type of booby trap in this sequence so it's kind of emerging of the, of the two ideas and the, with the cradle of all worlds book one in particular i wanted the main body of the action to take place in the in-between space because quite mm-hmm. often in fantasy novels whenever other, other worlds are involved um, the in-between sp- uh, space or just the, the crossing over that threshold, it's, it's almost seen as a means to an end. They, they stick yeah. through that and the main adventure takes place in the other world, which is, which is great. But to me, I've always uh, been fascinated by this idea of the, the place between places. Um, the in the Chronicles yeah. of, yeah, in, the, in between, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's uh, in Magician's Nephew, um, mm. which is the, in chronological order, book one. Uh, there's the wood between the worlds uh, where mm. the children go to. And that for me was, I've, I, in terms of Chronicles of Narnia, that the first third of that book is my favourite. Um, yeah, and right. I've, and it, I've always found it interesting that we never go back to that space, that wood between the worlds. The wood, I don't yeah. think it's even mentioned ever again, this place where it's for those who haven't read it, it's a, it's a, it's a, a wood like a forest with all of these large puddles in there and they are the entrances to, to different worlds. Um, mm. uh, that to me is the place that you'd want to control. Not so much like if, if, if I was a villain, not so much the world yeah. itself. So that for in, in cradle of all worlds, I had this idea of what if somebody like, what if there's a villain who actually wants to control not just one world, but all of them. And to do that, mm. you'd need to first take possession of the space between spaces of the matter. What a wonderful um, idea. Yeah, so it's kind of when I when I came up with when I had all of these ideas for all of these action set pieces, it was automatically already a unique twist on them because it was all going to be indoors in this labyrinth mm. of shifting rooms. Um, so there's a, a carnivorous forest inside, but there there are chandeliers around. Uh, there's a there's a, um, a a rapid sequence uh, like going down these rapids. Yeah, the waterfalls but there's, there's, stairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all, all that kind of stuff. So it automatically, my imagination was just on fire, just trying, just making the most of this idea and this setting, really going mm. through it. Oh, so like if uh, anyone who's listening to this who hasn't read it, it is such a fun read. Like it's it is scary. Um, but you get invested in the characters. I love Violet because I'm a pyromaniac as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she's a fan favourite. 
She's she's amazing, and um, but yeah, just so 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 much fun to read. Um, so highly oh, highly recommend. You. Um, and just uh, one one question, just about the duology format. So I guess a lot of the time when you're talking fantasy books in particular, you fo- like, and just in general, they're trilogies, and it's like yeah. the three act structure. Um, that's kind of how it works. What was the thought process behind doing a duology instead? Um. And what are the big differences that you kind of feel s- split the two? You know, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, and it, it's funny. I, I released uh, book one and th- all of a sudden realized that there are, there are so many other duologies popping up. I think it's, I think duologies are almost becoming the new trilogy. Um, mm. uh, I, I think um, there is, there's something to be said for just the, just a shorter epic story. Um, yeah. a lot of people, I mean, I, I was a bookseller for years and some people, particularly younger people love getting into a big series. Uh, but mm-hmm. there are so many out there. It was getting to the point where some, I, I noticed some, um, uh, customers would almost roll their eyes and thinking, Oh God, I've got to read another seven books to kind of get yeah, a, you get, um, you get fatigued. Yeah. To get a, get, get some resolution. Um, and it, it just kind of cuts out the cuts out the middleman really that you can just mm. have a, a tighter story. But for <laughs> me, I had actually envisaged it first of all as a trilogy. I had three stories mm-hmm. in mind. Uh, but as I was writing book one, because I'd kind of my mind will automatically make things as big as they can possibly be. I made it almost too epic for myself. Uh, I kind of shot myself in the foot because it was already <laughs> so big and I had so much yep. story to tell just for just for cradle of all worlds and so i just thought ah oh, i i think i'm going to have to split it into two books because there's no way a publisher would publish a debut novel from an unknown guy that is the size of a brick um mm. it just doesn't it just doesn't happen in publishing um so that was a that was a big moment for me because i i knew that it was uh going to change everything um but i'm so so glad I made the decision to do that because it did mean that I didn't have to rush anything. And with book two, uh, Jane Doe and the Key of All Souls, it meant I could really get into my villain's backstory, into the backstory of this um, this particular world. Rough, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was it was a really it was a tough decision, but I have no regrets whatsoever. And so now um, it's I've, it's basically two duologies that I have that I have planned. Um, so Jane Doe and the Cradle universe. of All Worlds, all in the same universe. So this Cradle yeah. of All Worlds, The Key of All Souls, and books three and four, which I'm working on at the moment. Unreal. Oh, well, it's, it's good to have something to look forward to. I'll tell you what, after the first book, it ends on such a cliffhanger. That was the other thing I think maybe is a mark of the duologies is often the first book in a trilogy you can actually read as a standalone novel and then kind of be happy with that, whereas... With this one, you know, you you're like, okay, where's the next book? What's going on? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and when I, you I, see that it's like it's six months to release, you're like, no, no, yeah, no. I had I had some. Uh, I mean, it was it's so lovely, and I'm still. I don't know I consider myself still such a newbie at all of this. I'm still blown away that there are complete strangers reading my books. And uh, <laughs> when book one came out and it ends on a on a cliffhanger, that I got some. Some ang- yeah, pleasant but angry Some messages angry. from people yeah, yeah. just wanting that because they had a long way to, to wait. But, I mean, the good news is for people who haven't read it yet is that there's no wait whatsoever. They can they can yeah, enjoy yeah. the whole well, – because, I mean, I do see it as one as one story. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I would love uh, if at some point uh, an edition could be released where the both both books are in the one edition would be would be mm. fantastic. Um, but again, that's that's just wishful wish you know, wishing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, look, hey, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you ever heard of the Folio Society? No, I haven't. Oh, so if you and anyone listening that's a book nerd, Google it after uh, the podcast. But it's the Folio Society. I'll put it in the um, in the show notes. They make these absolutely stunning editions, special editions of classic books. Oh, really? And so, yeah. Oh man, and they're just absolutely they're little masterpieces. And often, I think maybe even always, they pair it with illustrations. So. One of my first, and we'll probably we'll get into some recommendations very shortly, but one of my favorite novels ever growing up was The Hobbit. Yep. And my dad had this illustrated edition, and I would just look at these illustrations for hours on end, just looking at all the details. And that's kind of what the Folio Society have done. Um, so I think they've got like HP Lovecraft's full works paired with Dan Hillier's kind of etchings, and there's a whole bunch of... Um, Really, really amazing one. So, if there's any uh, inspiration to or something to aspire to, it's to try and nudge in towards the Folio Society for that that special edition Jane Doe, oh, um, yeah. with everything <laughs> rolled it. into one. Yeah, I mean, an illustrate like imagine that. I would love to see an illustrated edition because the world is so rich and some of the imagery you put in there is, it's just so strong. So, I'd love to see what an artist does to to interpret that. Oh, thank you. And, and that, I mean, I, I mean, I've been so blessed with the covers that I have for my books. I absolutely mm. adore them. Um, a lot of authors don't get much say in their cover design. Um, and my publisher, Hardy Grant Egmont, um, in the very, very, very early on in the piece, uh, when I'd signed up, um, I had a, a meeting with their uh, in-house designer, Pooja Desai, and she's fantastic. And I just immediately knew we were on the same page because I, I'd kind of awesome. created, like, brought some some images that I really loved and inspired me, and she had as well. And they were very, they were, some of them were exactly the same. Um, wow! And I, that's super the, cool. Yeah, it's really great. So the the book one cover design, uh, like the illustrations, done by an Italian artist, Jacopo Bruno. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, book two uh, is done by Alessio Trunfio, another Italian. Um, and I just, I just seeing, uh, you know, I've been very, I've been lucky enough to be published in multiple countries now. And every time a new cover comes out, it's just so fascinating to see little, little glimpses of of this world that you've created, illustrated by someone else. So yeah, I would, I would yeah, love to the, see an the illustrated German cover at some point. Yeah, the German cover that came out recently was a was a cracker. That was a really good one. Yeah, really great, and they just re- announced the uh, revealed the uh, the second uh, cover um, for for Key of All Souls, which I can't remember the translated title at the moment. Something about Schlüssel being a key, um, <laughs> but yeah, I love. But one thing that I, I never I never want to I, I personally don't like seeing characters illustrations like their faces. Mm. I prefer to imagine that fully myself. So that's why mm. uh, one of my things that I said very early on, I always want Jane to be facing away from the from the reader on the covers um because it taps into that idea of the mystery of jane doe um mm. that we never see her face um so i'd love really an illustrated cool. edition but to always have the characters like like those old school narnia editions that you saw where the characters are always quite small and the world is yeah. kind of the uh the 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 focus yeah the focus yeah yeah and so i guess 
that's a good uh, segue into recommendations and what kind of fantasy or adventure books that you would recommend. Is Narnia, Narnia the classic that you would recommend for readers to have a crack at if they haven't had a go? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love Narnia. It's obviously, it's very old-fashioned and, and dated a bit. There are aspects of it that aren't so great. Uh, mm-hmm. But it has that very, just that, that old classic British sensibility about it of going to different worlds and you know, having sitting down with to have tea and crackers or tea and scones with a, with some weird creature. Um, it's, but it's <laughs> there's that there's the the mythology of it. It's one of the the richest richest out there. And I I, I have a little uh, nod or two to to Narnia throughout my books. But there are no talking animals, so let's let's just make that yeah clear from the, no from the beginning. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in terms of recommendations, I mean we've we've. There are some great uh, Australian ones out there. The Narrow Way Trilogy by Rhiannon Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is called Otley Coulter and the Narrow Way Hunt. Um, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. That's about a, a young girl whose brother is kidnapped by this band of monster hunters. Um, they only oh, kidnap wow. boys. And so she decides to um, dress up as a boy to infiltrate this, this band of monster hunters to, to save her, her brother. But once she's inside, realizes that maybe she wants to join these monster hunters to, to clear the narrow way. <laughs> and it's, really it's cool. yeah, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Um, uh, the Nevermore series by Jessica Townsend is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like for fans of Harry Potter, they'll absolutely love that. Um, ones that I'm looking forward to reading but I haven't got to yet um, Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mbalia. Um, what a rapper title. Yeah, it's fantastic. That, he's created this. Um, uh, like middle grade American gods, it's often described as um, oh, filled okay. with um, African American books. Yeah, so it's filled with these African American folk heroes um, and West African gods. Uh, it's part of the uh, Rick Riordan Presents series. So Rick Riordan did uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief mm-hmm. um, yep. and Magnus Chase and all that. Very very popular middle grade series. Um, these this uh, the Rick Riordan Presents. Uh, kind of the, uh, a platform for POC authors out there. Um, so that's, that's really been, cool. yeah, and that's been really popular. Um, one that I'm really, really desperately looking forward to is Amari and the Knight Brothers by B.B. Alston. Um, that's about a, a Amari, a 13-year-old. Uh, she received an invitation to join uh, the mysterious bu- Bureau of Supernatural um, Affairs. Um, and the, ah, the, the invitations, yeah, and it's, the invitations come from her missing brother. So she decides to, to go along and, uh, try to unravel the mystery of the missing brother while uh, competing to join this this bureau. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah. So there's actually, I, the, that. You go. I was just about to say that reminds me a little bit of uh, a middle grade series um, that I just absolutely love as well. Even though I'm you know, late thirties, um, is V.E. Schwab's City of Ghosts. And I think the next one's City of Lights, but it's essentially about a girl who's a, who, whose parents are documenting being, themselves being ghost hunters, but she can actually see ghosts. And so, uh. but she, you know, she doesn't tell her parents and they keep taking her to all these hot spots for ghosts and she's the one who can communicate with them and she goes off on her own adventures. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really cool. Oh, fantastic! V. It's, v. Yeah. A, she's a wonderful, wonderful writer. So there's a, another one to put in the in the pile. Well, I, feel, I mean, I feel like, and I feel like I should say it because I, I mean, I assume there's going to be some fantasy fans, hardcore fantasy fans, uh, listening to this. That I feel so terribly underread 
uh, in fantasy, even though I write these books. Uh, in terms of high fantasy, I haven't actually read that much. I mean, I love Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, I, I, I got a little bit of the way through um, uh, The Magician. Yep, by um, Raymond Feist. Yeah, uh, and I, I just – people may hate me for saying this, but if I just found it a bit too derivative of Lord of the Rings, um, mm-hmm. even though I know there's so much more to it, but and I do want to pick it up and give it another shot. Um, mm. But other other fantasy books that I love, not not so much uh, middle grade, but well, not middle grade at all, but um, The Magician's Trilogy, um, mm-hmm. I, I loved. It, but it's one of those rare things where – as a bookseller, it was always difficult to, to hand sell because book one, The Magicians, I always – I found it a bit of a hard slog for the first half. Um, yeah. It was kind of like an adult Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. But then when it became more an adult Chronicles of Narnia, that's when I really got into it. Um, yeah, cool. And the sequels, The Magician Land and The Magicians – no, I've forgotten that the Magician's Land is number three. I've forgotten number two. But anyway, it's a trilogy where it just gets better and better as it goes along. Book three is absolutely fantastic. Magician King and then The Magician's Land. Um, yeah, I, I mean, on that totally note, recommend. there's there's a uh, a series by Terry Goodkind called The Sword of Truth. And with the first book, Wizard's First Rule, I, I kind of the same thing. And then as it goes on, it gets better and better. But it almost hits that, like you said before, when people read a series, they sort of start to go, oh, no, not another one. And it eventually gets into that territory and half the books are rehashing the first books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, like that's as an author, that's a really tough thing is how much to, how much to recap and how much to mm. just go along with things. And that's something that I even writing Key of All Souls uh, part two of the first duology um, – it's something that I really wanted to get right. I don't like information dumps. I didn't want to do a previously on. I, I chose to kind of take the path of just gradually trying to, to remind the readers uh, in the beginning uh, throughout the throughout Jane's story um, to kind of recap that way. But it's always, you know, how much recap is enough. Um, yeah, it's how a tough much one to get do? right. That's mm. why, well, like, I um... – I think when I was doing the Hellbound trilogy in the second and third books, it was a similar similar struggle because I've had that thing where there's two ways to go about it because if you're reading a series and you're reading them all the way through, you remember everything. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're reading them as they're released and there's potentially 12 months or more between each release, um, I mean, and uh, the Kingkiller Chronicles, which we've people have been waiting for the third book in that for the like eight or nine years. You mm-hmm. need those reminders. And so yeah. I think, you know, a, a couple of sentences is great here and there um, or a, a really good update at the start. Yeah. Um, I, I recently just read the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks, which is one of my highly, highly recommends um, in terms of a new book uh, or the, the last one just came out um, recently. And, towards the end, he actually just had summaries at the start that summarized the early books. So if you, you could just skip that. It was basically one chapter summarizing everything that kind of happened. And then as you go along, you get little character reminders and things like that because they're five massive books. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's a really tricky balance to strike, isn't it? Yeah, because ultimately you just don't want to take the the reader out of the story. Um, 
And that's what I mean. That's what it's always about. You want to make sure that the reader's invested in in everything, and constantly rehashing things over and over can be uh, can just take them out of that. Um, but I mean, and for me, it's you know, Jane Doe is written in first person present tense, so we're always in Jane's head um, as the adventures unfolding. Apart from a couple of moments where we step out in interludes. Um, Yep. So that's for me where it was. Yeah, it's you can just embrace the idea that Jane is just recalling things that have happened, but not to do it in a hammy way. Like, oh, this is just like that time that I did this incredible thing two weeks ago. Yeah, um, just making <laughs> it natural going through. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's definitely definitely a tricky balance. Um, in terms of book recommendations, are there any um, fantasy books um, or adventure books? And we'll we'll talk about the distinction in a second and the overlap, but um. Any that you think are underrated or underread that um, really you think deserve a bit bit more attention? Um, well, I mean, my first gut reaction is to say they all deserve – all books deserve yeah. more attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think uh, the Narrowway trilogy, the one I mentioned by Rhiannon Williams, um, mm. is that's that's only the, – the book three has only just been released um okay. that's uh yeah I'd, I'd love to see more people reading that um it's it's really fantastic um I'll have to in terms of yeah big ones that i've that that and that's a middle grade series um mm. in terms of other ones that i've read i'm not i'm not i'm not sure because i i've i feel like the the, the fan, fantasy fans genre fans in general are just so passionate and really get behind uh, the books that they love and share that, which is so wonderful to see. I definitely noticed that in uh, when I was working as a bookseller, um, that people people do often, yeah, share share books around. So, but I mean, there's there's always unfortunately going to be some books that slip slip through the net, slip through the cracks. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, what what about so you? So many. What, yeah, exactly. So, what are some of yours? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the main ones, which is hilarious because I was Googling it last night to just make sure I got um, got everything right about it, and then I saw that it had been made into a BBC series, and I was like, well, that's not really that underrated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but I don't like anyone I know in Australia is like, what's that book? So it's um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susan uh, Clark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's quite that's quite big though, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like I didn't realize I sort of just got the slide. I'd never heard of it and I just got yeah. the recommendation. And um, and I was just like, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful book. And so, yeah, I haven't I guess read it, but I've heard it's wonderful. Uh, it's like just in, in the true sense of the word, like just gives you a sense of wonder as you go along. And it's, it's yeah. set in, um, you know, turn of the century England um, and magic has disappeared and these couple of guys work to bring magic back and it's, and it's, uh, I think it's actually set through a war as well. Maybe even, um, I can't remember which war, but that they start to use it as weapons and it's really, really well done. Um, mm. and Susanna Clark has just done an amazing job. So if you haven't read it, that would be, yeah, one of my recommends. It's, it's, it's like you say, it's hard to, to kind of pull out those little underrated ones. And it's also hard to, um, to kind of split between genres as well. Like, is it is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? I have that trouble a lot with Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. and even um, when I emailed you and um, said, let's talk fantasy, and you were you're kind of like, well, I, I probably see myself first and foremost as an adventure writer. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. So I'd love to talk about the distinction between 
adventure and fantasy, where the crossover lies, um, how do we kind of define these genres? I, like, I just feel like genre is a, a useful marketing tool, but it does fall down in these little overlaps. And sometimes there's stories that you're like, oh, just not really sure how to describe it, but it's still a great book. Yeah, um, and they're, that's, they're, the, they're the ones that I kind of love and gravitate towards. Um, and ultimately, I mean... Jane Jane Doe is adventure, but it is it is fantasy. There there are certainly fantastical elements throughout, and I'm talking about journeying to to different worlds. Um, but for, for me, uh, I think again as a as a as a bookseller, when you're talking to to people who don't often read genre fiction and 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 mm. all of that, they they hear fantasy and they automatically think dungeons and dragons uh you know yep. fighting fighting you know sword wielding all, all that kind of stuff which isn't which once you read more of them you realize it's so much more more than that um yeah that's that's uh, a component so, but, but it's but it's not the whole oh, thing yeah yeah absolutely and so with jane but with jane doe i do I, I wanted to keep it grounded in reality as much as possible um there are mm. certainly fantastical elements throughout there um and some that i don't I don't explain and go into. So in this uh, in this labyrinth between worlds, there are these uh, candles that just when you step into a room, they they flicker on. Um, yeah. I don't try and explain why that happens. I just chalk it up to a fantastical element of of the manor. Uh, it is a, it is a mysterious, magical but deadly place. Um, yeah. Or you don't have to eat. You know. Yeah, exactly, because because the manor gives life, and that that was also mm. a plot device. Because it's like, okay, if they're going to be in there for such a long time, how do I? You know, I can't have them. Yeah, how do I move the story forward without yeah, stopping to eat? Yeah, yeah, constantly snacking. Like, where's all this food come from? Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely taps into the the actual, like, the broader narrative, the fact that in this place, because uh, yeah, time operates differently in different worlds and, and all of that. So I can have some, I can have some fun with that. Um, mm. as well so there are there are different laws uh in the story and people would describe them as yeah different magical laws i guess um but i don't want to get kind of bogged down in that I, I like that that old school adventurous feel uh where things are a bit dusty um and and brassy and and all of that mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't i don't have an answer like because it because it does straddle the two the two genres um does it even need to be one or the other um i mean people yeah, do often like describe it as fantasy adventure which i'm more than comfortable with 100 percent, and i think it's i guess it's just it sometimes can be a struggle for librarians and uh and how they they're going to classify it and where that sits but even um interestingly the and something I'd love to talk about is just the difference between middle grade and young adult and uh-huh. where Jane Doe sits in that. And just to give you an example outside of, I mean, it is in the fantasy genre. Um, there's a dark fantasy series by an Aussie author called Jay Kristoff, which is the Nevernight series. Yes. So I've heard he's, great things. He's, oh, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, you know, again, another, so dark fantasy rather than regular fantasy. And he's written YA sci-fi before. So a lot of, um, I guess, YA fans have picked it up or parents have picked it up thinking it's YA, but it's super dark and bloody. And even Jay himself is like, it's not YA. Please don't. And I go into the library, um, the Melbourne library last time I was over there, and there it is sitting on the shelf in the YA section. Yeah. And um, so I just had a little giggle to myself. And so... 
um, Jane Doe, like if I've seen it classed as middle grade, I've seen it classed as YA, like where does it sit? Does it straddle between the two? And how do you, how would you um, create a distinction between those two groups? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question and similar, and it is very much lined up with that, like what we're talking about with genre, how things can straddle multiple. Mm. Um, the the whole middle grade YA divide, I, I feel like it's 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 one of, to be honest, uh, a little bit frustrating in children's fiction, how people want to constantly uh, kind of break it up into particular age brackets. Um, so mm. from like... 9 to 12, from, from 13 to 16, all these kinds of things. Um, I, I understand the need for it. Uh, again, having been a bookseller, you need to know where to shelve things in a store and in the library. Um, yeah, and also but, for people to come in and say, I've got a 13-year-old, what do I get them? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and there, yeah. there, are, there are important differences uh, between middle grade and, and YA. Um, for those who don't, middle grade, we're talking uh, more kind of, I guess, nine to 12 years old uh, or nine to 13. Every, everybody seems to have a different uh, mm. kind of age bracket for it and and YA being kind of teen readers. Um, you know, teenagers are experimenting with more adult things than, than, than mm. children are, than middle grade readers are. So there can be more, there's often more, more well, See, this is this thing. I want to say more sex, more, more sex and violence, but often <laughs> there isn't because this is something that really There's innuendo. Yeah, it really gets under my skin is that uh, people constantly want to talk down not just to kids but to teenagers as well. And violence always mm. slips through, slips through. I mean, you've got a series like Hunger Games where it's literally about children killing each other, but there's no sex mm. and no swearing. Yes, um, I mean the swearing because thing that just, would be too much. Just bizarre. Yeah, like, yeah, I, like I, the swearing thing. I think you even take a jab at it in the first book where it's kind of like, um, I think she was going to say, he's a real piece of shit. And you're like, real piece of, and the person interrupts and says, real piece of work. She's yeah. like, That's not what I was going to say. And it's like, well, there's soldiers that get chopped literally in half in this book and you can't say shit. Like, give me a break. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, I'm, yeah, my, look, this has been, to be honest, a, a constant uh, battle. I would love Jane to say shit at some point in my book in my yeah. books, but I, I probably shouldn't even be saying that because people say, like, oh, no, but I find <laughs> oh, it no. so bizarre. I mean, Jane says bloody and goddamn throughout mm. the book. Um, this is a girl who hasn't uh, had a proper upbringing. Uh, Jane, for those who haven't read it, um, the reason why she – so she she's from this island called Blue Haven, and this is the island that for thousands of years has worshipped this this place between places, the manor, which sits atop the lone hill on the, on the island. But it's, it closes its doors the moment John Doe falls through 14 years ago with a baby in his arms, Jane. Uh, it closes and an earthquake starts striking the island. So they call Jane the cursed one. Um, she's kind of raffled off to this couple who don't want to live with her. So Jane's spent the first, like all her life, the first 14 years, living in this basement, caring for her, for Pro- her father. Probably who, being sworn at. Exactly, being sworn at. She hasn't. She's caring for her father, who can't say a word. Um, he has this mysterious illness. We're not sure what it is. Um, she's been denied a proper education. She hasn't had a proper kind of. She hasn't had etiquette lessons or anything like that. And I know that a lot of people are used to in middle grade fiction seeing this uh, perfect children, like like Harry Potter, who's just very well spoken, mm. even though he's basically been abused his entire life. Um, I didn't want Jane to be that. I wanted her to be a bit, a bit gritty, a little bit rough around the edges. Because let's be honest, children, a lot of children swear. 
when they're amongst yeah. themselves. Like if you if you listen to a group of ten year olds when the adults are around, some of them swear like troopers. Um, yeah. So I kind of wanted to speak to those kids as well because there are so many uh, heroes out there who are very prim and proper and would never swear and, and all, all that kind of stuff. I wanted Jane to kind of speak more naturally throughout it, mm. but it has been a tricky thing because for so for the UK edition and for the American edition, they said no, we, we can't have that, particularly in the states, no goddamn whatsoever. So I had to do a wow. swear edit for them. Uh, so the so the Australian edition has the shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah. it's it's kind of like, but still, the violence again, even in my book, that slips through. Like you say, there are, there are soldiers getting literally chopped in half by by a booby trap, uh, and Jane's mm. watching the kind of the blood puddle creep across the chamber floor. That's okay, but don't have any any swearing in it. Don't, so it's don't swear, please. Yeah, it it, it, it blows my. And again, in in again, it's the same in YA. Even though teenagers are swearing having sex uh they it's as soon as something's on the page it's like oh no because it's a difference between film uh so i'm, I'm ranting a bit now but this, <laughs> it's the difference between film and tv in, and books as well in the marvel movies which everybody flocks to children's adults as well they say shit quite a lot in those movies mm. but as soon as it's put on the page people <gasps> it's, it's it's too yeah. much um yeah, it's weirder yeah, it's fascinating. But getting back to the, yeah, the difference between YA and, and middle grade, it is it is important because uh, obviously teenagers are, are going through they're, – they're, they're becoming adults um, mm. and some some younger children, some middle grade readers aren't up to that level yet. Jane Doe, I do see it as upper middle grade young YA. Um, mm. Having said that, I did write it for kids, teens and adults. Um, I wanted yeah, sure. it to be this action adventure blockbuster, like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, like the Marvel movies, where everybody mm-hmm. can read it. And it's been the biggest joy for me since it's been released to see kids and teens and adults really embracing it. At festivals I've been to, there are just as many uh, adults in the in the audience, kind of eagerly waiting to ask a question as as kids and parents reading it with their kids, which is which has been just an absolute joy for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's unreal. I mean, like I said, I'm a 39-year-old 30, man and I love them, you know. And so you've got, oh, you've got you. a 13-, 14-year-old girl as the main protagonist and I just I love her and um, and same as Violet. And you, you relate. It doesn't matter. There's always things that people go through that I think anyone can relate to um, and you get a really a sense. And I think that's um, – I was talking to Brooke Davis about this, a um, mutual friend of ours in the first um, – first episode Uh I almost feel like that's what fiction is for and that's why part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is so people will read outside what they normally read because literature and stories that's what helps us put ourselves in the shoes of other people helps soften the borders between us and other people and that's how we learn to understand each other a little bit better absolutely and um the the more diverse the characters and the backgrounds and the more you're going to at least get a sense of what people are going through and be a bit more empathetic when you when you run into other people instead of shouting at them on twitter yeah definitely and i think it i mean it speaks to the core of like i said of, of fiction that we are reading about characters here and even in uh fantasy even in adventure um even in horror even in sci-fi um, a good one will bring it back to the characters and it's the character's journey. And and genre fiction is just such a great vehicle to explore the human condition exactly the same as quote-unquote literary fiction. 
Um, and it's it's a re- it's I think really tragic that genre fiction is actually looked down upon quite often by people. Um, I was I mean I love booksellers. I was one of them myself. Uh, so I feel like I can say this, but I've and I've I love going around visiting bookshops. There was one that I went to one time when I was on tour and was just asking the bookseller what they what they read and, and they kind of gave me this this look um, and just said, oh no, I read more literary fiction, as if to say, mm-hmm. oh, I don't read your kind of books. It's like, well, okay, well done. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, uh, but you know, you wouldn't have a job if if John if genre fiction wasn't there. I mean, let's be honest. And and it, like children's yep. fiction, um, mm. we sell a lot of books uh, out there, and the industry which the industry depends on. Um, so I feel, I mean, in book circles and literature, there's there is a lot of snobbery, unfortunately, but a good mm. fantasy novel will bring it back to the characters and that, that's i think the main the main core you can you can have great world building um in in a book but without real characters to inhabit it um the story's nothing we want characters to identify with want heroes we can root for um going mm. through it um so yeah that's that's what it's all about for me anyway yeah, it's interesting, like you say, that genre fiction gets looked down on a little bit. And there's, I think it's maybe it's Patrick Rothfuss. There's a really good rant. I'll try and send it to you later and I'll see if I can link it in the show notes where he's. Um, and funnily enough, I had a friend of mine who was joined a writing group and she she loves writing sci fi. Margaret Atwood's one of her favorite authors who she would say it's speculative fiction. Um, she loves fantasy and she joined a writing group and they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't write that here. And a similar thing, some, someone's come up to Patrick Rothfuss, who is, a, um, for those who don't know, a, a really celebrated um, fantasy writer. And she says, oh, I, I, my university professor won't let me rev- like do this book report on, on a fantasy novel. And he said, okay, so let's take a look at the history of writing, like the Iliad um, and the Odyssey have dragons and hydras and all sorts of stuff in them. Macbeth has witches. And he just runs off through all these classic pieces of literature that all have fantastic elements in them. And he's just like, it's litfic is a genre in itself. It's just a way to categorize a book. If it's a good book, you should read it. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's, and I, yeah, I, I think on that, it's, um, Within literary fiction, there are all different types of, of genres. Uh, people will mm. often describe uh, YA and middle grade as a genre. It's not. It's a, that's a classification. Um, mm. Within that, we have all these different different uh, kind of genres, um, and they are all valid. Um, and I love that because yeah, classic stories are just littered with all of it. And I, I felt the exact same thing when I was I studied creative writing uh, at university, um, and I felt a bit of that when I'd write a short story that was sci-fi or fantasy, uh, I felt that it wasn't seen as, as valid as not serious enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Even though it's still, like you say, exploring the human, I mean, particularly sci-fi constantly exploring, mm. uh, the human condition, um, looking mm. forward, but it's, it, it deals with the past just as much as the future. Mm. So just to set that up, um, with genre and we're just sort of saying you should read anything. Um, I've sort of admitted that I generally steer away from erotica. I don't know why. Or romance novel, probably more more to the point. Um, mm-hmm. And 
And so I've sort of challenged listeners to say, send me some good romance novel titles that I think I'm that you you think I might really enjoy, just to defy um, my own sense of that genre. Are there are there any genres that you tend to steer away from that um, that just you maybe you've tried and just haven't hit the right mark, or anything that you you tend to avoid? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I read pretty much anything across the board but i don't read much romance either but having said that i did just finish um uh, a queer love story queer rom-com uh Mm -hmm. which was red white and royal blue um which i enjoyed um i i yeah i I want to read as much as possible because i want to write as much as possible i mean i'm i'm -hmm. I'm loving writing adventure fantasy at the moment um i have a a kind of survival horror story planned uh after jane doe I'd love to do sci-fi. I'd love to do a rom-com. Um, mm-hmm. I want to dip my toe into each genre and just just have fun with it. I don't I don't ever want to be pigeonholed into one one genre writing. Uh, adventure and fantasy is one I'll always come back to, though. I think. Yeah, you um, come back to yeah. your first loves a lot of the time, don't you? It's like yeah. those are the things that that you just really sink your teeth into. And I, you know, for me as a kid, fantasy was for sure the the first thing that I just really went, "Oh, this is this is mine." You know, this is for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And branched so, out, and like you say, through university, went through literary fiction, and went through phases, went through a lot of like Hunter S. Thompson and all the kind of classic. Um, I should almost say cliche <laughs> um, yeah. student stuff. And, um, but yeah, you know, like, I think you still come back to that first love. It's like comfort food, like rainbow sponge cake that you just like, yeah, yeah this is exactly great. that I make really, really well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like what I, what I want to read is uh, it's been such a long time since I've read a story that I was genuinely terrified by. Um, yeah, okay. and I've been searching, I haven't had that feeling of dreading turning a page and getting chills for such a long time. Uh, and I've, I've tried various titles and it just hasn't grabbed me. So if anybody can yeah. in the show notes re- recommend a, st- a book that absolutely terrified them, like a, a really great horror. Um, yeah. Have I'd you love read that. House of Leaves? Have you read House of Leaves? No, I haven't, but I've, I've heard it's, is, is that the one that's very kind of experimental? Yeah, it's super experimental. I, I found it quite terrifying. You really get oh, dragged okay. into it. So maybe but it's not one so it's it's certainly not one you can do on audiobook. You have to actually get the book. Yeah. Um I, f- I had a little bit of trouble tracking it down for some reason, so if you want to have that a read I can I can post it over to you. But um that's maybe one. Um let me have a think as well. Um I'm looking at p- possibly getting Alan Baxter on. He's a fantastic Australian horror writer, so Oh, I'll, great. Um, I'll hit him up for some recommendations as well. Absolutely. I'll tune in for sure. <laughs> Unreal. Well, on that note, um, thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. It's been just a wonderful chat and um, really cool to nerd out and talk different fantasy books and recommendations. There's a few in there that I, t- I certainly haven't read, so I'll be keen to check those out. And um, if anybody wants you to find you online or track down your books, what's the best way to find you and get in touch with you? Uh, so all I'm on... Twitter at Jeremy Lachlan, but Twitter's a dumpster fire in general. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I, I spend more time on, on Instagram at Jeremy.Lachlan. Uh, and you can find my books in all good bookstop, in all good bookshops, but hit up your, your favorite local independent bookstore, of course. Um, if you have to go online, go somewhere like um, Booktopia rather than Amazon. Not, not really a fan mm-hmm. of Amazon. Am I allowed to say that here? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yep. Yeah, it's a safe space. Sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I, I could I could honestly geek out about this kind of stuff all day. Um, it's it's a, always a joy to talk about genre fiction. Um, it is so much so much fun. Like you said earlier, it's 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 that it's that balance. It's something that can be fun as well as exploring the human condition and be scary and, and all of that. And that's one of the reasons why I love fantasy uh, the most. I think. Well, thank you again so much. If anyone uh, listening hasn't read the Jane Doe duology, please get into it. It's a wonderful read and hope to have you again on the show sometime soon. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much, mate. Hi, this is Tim. I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a shout out on social media or leave a review on iTunes. If you'd like to reach out to me personally to say hi, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tim underscore Hawken. That's at T-I-M underscore H-A-W-K-E-N. Or you can even head to timhawken.com and get a free copy of the first book in the Hellbound trilogy by signing up to my newsletter. For a roundup of all the shows and recommendations, you can also head to timhawken.com forward slash genre wars. Thanks again for listening and happy reading. Okay, so I've just hit record again. Maybe I'll just put this as a little bonus thing <laughs> after. So, um, Jeremy and I were just having a, a, a little off-mic discussion or off-record discussion um, and geeking out on actual writing craft. And, and I was saying I'm not sure how many listeners are that interested in actual writing craft. Um, but one of the questions I asked him was the hero's journey, which is um, essentially it was by Joseph Campbell kind of – came up with this story theory. George Lucas followed it for Star Wars. It's heavily followed for Harry Potter. Um, it's just a really great, timeless story structure um, that helps guide a story and just seems like every time someone writes it something like this um, and innovates it well, it becomes a smash hit. And so my question was, you know, Jeremy, were you – is is the hero's journey something you built into Jane Doe? Um, and so how would you, you would reply to that, Jeremy, and, and what's your view of the hero's journey and um, its strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question because, I mean, the whole, the whole point of Campbell's book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, is that it's every story. Mm. Um, it's every story that has ever been written follows this, this similar, similar path. Uh, and there are so many uh, kind of interesting comparisons. So I, I used to tutor screenwriting when I when I graduated from university, and one of the comparisons I would always make is to look at story a story like stories like Snow White and Gladiator. Mm. Um, very different, but totally it's actually different. the same. Totally, but this the same story if you if you put them side by side. In Snow White, you've got the uh, the, the queen who's jealous of the of the young beautiful uh, princess uh, sends her out to be killed and she gets found by some some dwarves and and you know everybody knows that story mm. in gladiator it's it's the young uh, prince who's jealous of the the of the of Russell Crowe <laughs> <laughs> who gets basically taken out into the wilderness to be killed uh, but instead of found by seven dwarves he's picked up by the gladiator crew and becomes a gladiator and, and all that so it's basically the same. Uh, story the same way that Harry Potter is very similar to Star Wars, all that kind of thing hmm. going through, and there are just particular beats that that you, that you hit need to I mean, be it, hit yeah. in a, mean, in a story to to make it work. 
Yeah, I mean, like so. Point Break is basically, or I should say, that the Fast and the Furious is essentially Point Break with cars. So if you like, if you look oh, at yeah, all yeah. the, you know, all of these, <laughs> they've all got these similarities to them. Yeah, and and it's 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 kind of those uh, beats. So if, if you, I won't, I won't go into it in detail, but the the hero's journey, like Christopher Vogler is a guy who kind of developed it. The writer's journey, yeah, which I have sitting on my nightstand. Yeah, which is kind of like 12, 12 steps or whatever. Mm. Um, there are moments like the journey to the inmost cave, innermost cave, uh, which happens kind of – it's the kind of end of the second turning, second act turning point. Mm. Um, these are moments that, that have to have to happen because obviously you want the story to get more tense and more exciting as it goes along. So, of course, for it to feel satisfying, you want to, your hero to reach their lowest point before the climax because mm. – if like the opposite of that is what things are going to get better as the story goes along, uh, it's always about that that emotional journey, the, the up and down, the positive mm. versus negative um, that you play with, um, and other specific moments like the the refusal of the call. Uh, you know, in in stories, uh, a hero gets a call to an adventure, and that's what that's what triggers the story. Mm. Um, but the refusal of the call is very important as well because if a hero gets this call to adventure and immediately just goes oh yeah cool 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 let's go let's do it doesn't this. really it doesn't really have a lot of weight to it but mm. if if a hero gets this call to adventure and just goes oh no 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 wait, I, I can't do this like I, I'm, I'm just a whatever it automatically adds so much more danger uh to to the story so these are the specific moments that you will find throughout so many stories um, but they happen for a reason. The trick is then to put an interesting spin Please, on it. Right. So uh, you can have a, you know, every hero will have a mentor figure. Um, quite often they are, well, more often than not, they're old white men. Mm. Um, uh, you know, your Gandalfs, your Dumbledores, all that kind of stuff. Your Obi Wan Kenobi's. Um, in mine, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I have an old woman, Winifred mm. Robin, who is mm. uh, who fills that role. Um, and she's an, kind of the embodiment of the old school adventurer. Uh, mm. You're never quite sure whether she's – there's a little bit of a darkness to her. She's a little bit mysterious. Um, so it's about seeing these tropes, knowing what they are, and then tweaking them, playing with them a bit to suit your own story and make it fresh and engaging. Yeah, I almost feel like it just – it, the reason that these stories work um, and that every story kind of follows this is that it just mimics human experience and human psychology. So it's essentially yeah. you, you, this, you establish the ordinary world at the beginning, it's just like you or I would be living in, and then you get a call to adventure and you could just see it as, as learning, like, hey, do you want to come and do this interesting thing that you're going to learn something from? And people get uncomfortable when you're, they're learning new things or trying new things. So... There's this instinct to back away from the uncomfortable, unfamiliar things in your life. And so that's that refusal to the call um, or refusal of the call kind of mimics that just discomfort you feel when you're stepping into something new or unknown. And then absolutely, then you accept the call, then you go into a new world. Um, and that literally is a different world in fantasy and in Jane Doe. And then you learn a whole bunch of things along the way. And then you come back to the, the world changed, um, potentially reluctantly, potentially chased out. Um, and you're bringing new knowledge back to the, to the, um, the ordinary world. Um, Absolutely. And it's not, and that, that other, that crossing the threshold into the into the new world in you know inverted commas um that could that can just still mean 
the ordin- the, the real world that we have. Uh, it can it's the same path can be found in a romantic comedy, mm. uh, whereas this you know crossing the threshold into adventure in that is basically the quest to win this person's heart. It's mm-hmm. not a quest through this fantasy world, slaying dragons and beasts and all that kind of stuff. But it's still a goal. There's still that goal at the end, which is to win this person's heart. Um, and that's where it can, yeah, it's it's the same story, essentially. Yep. Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey, you're going into the world of kinky sex, good times. Ex- um, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really, I really find it interesting. I, I Actually, I should note on that crossing the threshold, um, I did... I really appreciate it and love the way you innovated that in the sense that, um, so spoiler for anyone who hasn't read the book, um, Jane's father, John gets, he crosses the threshold first in a separate spot and gets thrust through. And so Jane, she wants to refuse the call, but now she has to, to go through after her father, but she goes through in a different place. And I just loved how there's that, you know, those little innovations and little twists of what keep, because story structure can get really stale and boring, particularly if you know it, um, like we do. And yeah. to see someone yeah. innovate it and do something different really like makes you sit up and go, oh, this is really cool. This is different. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for noticing that, because that's something I worked really hard on, because I've, I've got this setup of the manor sitting on top of this island, the sacred stairs that the adventurers would always journey on, would journey up to, to start their adventure, their quest. And I just knew that people reading it would automatically expect, okay, when Jane's adventure finally starts, she's going up those stairs. Mm. Um, so it was just constantly trying to surprise, give the give the readers what they what they want, what they're what they're expecting, whether they're conscious of it or not, but also uh, twisting it. So yeah, that's where I decided to have John disappear first, and Jane kind of takes this alternate mysterious path. Um, yeah, it's just always about giving the readers what they want but surprising them at the same time. It can be a tricky thing to get right. Yeah, I think there's a guy called Sean Coyne who's a editor. Um, he does the Story Grid podcast and the Story Grid book, and I think his line is something like, you want the to bring the story to its satisfying and inevitable conclusion but in a surprising way. Um, yeah. and it's, to me, it's like you want to do that through every every single one of those beats. Like those are the beats that have to happen. But hit them and hit them with a symbol instead of a snare drum, um, you know, and the other way around, and and it might be a little bit more interesting. Absolutely, and the same with characters as well. So put a spin on you know another important element that we haven't touched on is the sidekicks, and that's mm. that's always uh, a, a, such a crucial element in genre fiction, particularly adventure. Uh, sorry, <laughs> adventure, 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 yeah. and fantasy novels. Um, to, to have the psych so doing a little bit of a twist on those and i had so much fun uh with with mine characters mm. that you're not sure of their motivations whether they're good or bad uh characters popping up in surprising ways um there are just so many moments to play with at every point so that you're literally just keeping the reader and the edge of their seat yeah i saw like another i think i saw it on twitter so sometimes good things come out of twitter it's like every book is just a different <laughs> yeah. com every book is just a different combination of the same 26 letters and I was like, yeah. it's such a wonderful way to put it because it's just so weird, like language and what we do. Um, but all you need is a little bit of change and things to twist around and it has a completely different meaning and a completely different impact. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's a 10-minute bonus segment. So <laughs> 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 let's uh, let's leave it at that. But, hey, thank you. I really enjoyed talking about it and um, – We'll uh, we'll actually hang up now, but I will just say um, thank you again, Jeremy. Really, really great um, chatting, and let's catch up again sometime really soon.
Absolutely. No, thanks so much, mate. That was really, really wonderful. Awesome.